Welcome back to America's leading higher education podcast, The EdUp Experience, where we make education your business. Hosts Dr. Joe Salustio, Elizabeth Liba, and producer Elvin Freites bring you the brightest and most influential minds in higher education today. We explore innovations, ideas, and issues in higher education and beyond, and hopefully have a little fun along the way. Now let's get to it. Whether you're pacing short for your start goals or your summer melt needs a cool down, your challenges can be overcome with the right partner. In collaboration with the EdUp Experience, our sponsors, MDT Marketing, are offering a free marketing consultation. Head to www.mdtmarketing.com edup and start your free consultation. It's direction for your unique situation that will help you ramp up your marketing and enrollment efforts, and it's all for free. Head to www.mdtmarketing.com slash edup. Welcome back, everybody. This is the EdUp Experience, where we make education your business, interviewing the brightest and most influential minds in higher education today, education and beyond. And I say education because we do more than just higher ed these days. In fact, we have an amazing guest for you today, and I've been waiting to talk with her Unfortunately, I have rescheduled on her like I don't know how many times because things just never aligned. She's in Paris, believe it or not. And so she's taking time out of her night to talk with me here at the Edip Experience, or it's early morning on, on the Pacific Coast. And her name is Ruby Veridiano, and she's a sustainable fashion journalist and educator. Ruby, how are you doing today? Hi, Joe. Thank you so much for having me. I know it took some time, but everything always happens at the right timing. So I'm glad that we made it and I'm happy to be here. I appreciate that when my guest says something like that, because it's my fault that we kept rescheduling. So you're very kind <laughs> to say that it all aligns for a reason. Uh, so so, so bef but before we get started and talk about your background, which is super interesting um, and important, uh, you're in Paris. How are you? How is Paris with uh, the COVID lockdowns and all that kind of stuff going on? You know, in the States, I think California, where I am, is the example of how you stay on lockdown for a year, uh, a year and a half. We just came off of a, of a statewide lockdown over the last 12 months and the last couple of weeks, finally, which doesn't really mean anything because I don't go anywhere anyway. But how are you and how are things going out there? Uh, things are okay here with me. I, I'm just grateful to be safe and healthy. And the plus about living in Paris is that we have excellent health care here. So that's one less thing to worry about. And we just, um, the president just uh, implemented a, a border closure for France. So it's going to be impossible for non-EU company or non-EU countries to come into the, into France, which, you know, could be a little bit scary, but at the same time, I know it's for protective measures. So unfortunately, uh, there's still not going to be any, well, fortunately, unfortunately for me, there's not going to be any tourist here <laughs> for mm -hmm. a little while longer, but it's definitely a different experience to walk around Paris and not have a lot of people around, you know, just having a lot of empty streets. It's kind of eerie to walk around like, you know, all the main attractions and have it be pretty, you know, spotless. Uh, it's yeah. usually really crowded, but um, hang mm. in there. 
Okay, good. Well, I'm glad you're, you're, you're young and, uh, and healthy. So that's, that's good to hear. And, you know, I think it's, oh, there goes my garage door. Ruby, what happens in some of these episodes uh, for our listeners, and they know this well, I am in the Salustio executive home offices, uh, which uh, <laughs> include a, a, an alarm system. So every time somebody goes in and out of my garage, my wife to get a package, it goes bing, 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 garage door open. So that just lets you know how real and authentic these see right. how many times have you heard it now three or four times so uh but but so talk to me about what you do ruby mm-hmm. sustainable fashion journalist and educator you know what's your background how did you get into sustainable fashion what is sustainable fashion and why should educators care so much about sustainability in general? There's a lot in that question, but start, take yeah, it where you want. Okay. Well, let me go ahead and start with my background. As you mentioned, I'm, I'm in Paris, but I'm a California native. I grew up in Sacramento, California, and I actually started my career in a very different trajectory. I started off as um, a performing artist at a, at the, as the only female in a spoken word slash hip hop theater collective. And in that uh, role, I was basically going around to universities all around the United States, everywhere from the Ivy Leagues to the smallest community colleges in the middle of nowhere to really talk about uh, race, class, and gender, and all of these social issues through the power of creativity and the art of spoken word and performance. Now, this was before, you know, the term woke was cool, right? Like this was when- students were not interested in social consciousness when people were not trying to be politically involved. So it was really about going into these campuses and seeding um, social justice movements so that we can nurture conscious leaders in a way that would make them feel interested and entertained and inspired. So that's always been, uh, that really created the foundations for the work that I do today. And as the only woman in that collective, I discovered very early on that my work and my mission in this world was to use my voice to inspire women, especially young women who grew up like me as a Filipina American or an Asian American or a woman of color to really see possibilities in themselves by helping them give voice to these stories that they don't know how to tell. And uh, so, you know, the first uh, decade of my career was really focused on uh, on this, really about education and creating arts experiences that really fired people up to want to take action and figure out what their mission and vision was for their lives and not being afraid to pursue it, even though, you know, sometimes, you know, when you come from an immigrant family, you have limiting beliefs about what, what you think is possible for you. So that's always, that's kind of been embedded in my Uh, own personal life. And that's just been natural in how it unfolded in my professional life. Now, in 2014, I decided that I wanted to go back to graduate school because I wanted to take my impact to a new level. And I'd never actually worked in the fashion industry before, but I'd always um, been attracted to it. But, you know, when we're thinking about fashion careers, uh, I didn't think that there was any room for somebody like me, someone who was interested in social justice work and women's empowerment work. You know, all I saw in the fashion industry were traditional careers that are more mainstream, including fashion design, uh, maybe being a buyer, fashion merchandising, things like that. But I didn't feel like I really... um, fit into any of those roles. Uh, But, you know, I actually received a turning point when um, 
in 2013, I ended up getting a surprise assignment at a uh, big fashion company. And I found out that they had a corporate social responsibility team. And that kind of sparked the idea for me to figure out, okay, there's, there's a role for social responsibility in the fashion and luxury industry. How do I get into that? And it just kind of snowballed. I researched all of these um, ways of being involved in that sector and then, and then realized that there was also a sector for sustainability in fashion, which is really about um, making sure that the fashion ecosystem is protecting the people and the planet. Um, we're going to get back to that later. I think the sustainable fashion piece is going to be a different part of our conversation. But just to get back to how I got involved, I decided to go to graduate school in 2014. Uh, focused my work around global communication, so still in the breadth of storytelling, and focusing my work on sustainable fashion and how to create more socially responsible, uh, how to create a more socially responsible fashion industry. And the reason why I got so involved was because actually, you know, the fashion industry impacts a lot of women. But when we think about fashion, um, we think about the women that buy fashion, but we don't think about the women who make fashion. Uh, the, there's a lot of women in the fashion supply chain who are constantly being oppressed at, at, on the factory floor. You know, we're out here in the West, in, you know, wanting yeah. to advocate for equal pay or wanting to advocate for, you know, um, a lack of, or to, to, to eradicate sexual and gender violence. But all of these things are, happening on the factory floor and if we're really serious about wanting to create change and it's, it has to go beyond wearing like a feminist t-shirt right like if that right. feminist t-shirt wasn't actually empowering the women behind that uh production then it means nothing so I, my work is really about connecting all of the dots, uh, telling these stories as a journalist, but also educating uh, young people about it and, and um, wanting to work with schools and universities to then shape the future generation of fashion change makers who are gonna reform this industry. So let's let's uh, let's break that down just a tad. So when you say fa as somebody who is who knows all the answers about fashion, just for the record here, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> uh, break down fashion for me. Are we talking clothes? Are we talking items? Are we talking anything that somebody is creating that um, it, that is wearable? Is it wearable fashion? Is it like interior interior design types of fashion? Is it both? Give me a once over on sustainable uh, in, yeah. in what you mean by fashion and sustainable fashion. Yeah, well, when I think about fashion, I think about uh, shoes and apparel, right? And anything from high end to low end, I think we, we, we think about when we buy a fashion item, we uh, recognize it for what it is and we love to wear it, but we don't think about how it's made. So when I think about sustainable fashion or when I'm talking about sustainable fashion, I'm talking about like the entire supply chain and the production process. You know, how is it extracting resources from the environment? How is it protecting the people who are making the fashion? And then, you know, how are we as consumers demanding more from brands in the way that they are responsible and accountable for ethical uh, production? So, um, you know, when you think about this from an educator's perspective, okay, let's tie this into education. You're talking about, you're talking about um, uh, 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 what materials, uh, you're talking about supply chain management, you're talking about human resources. And, you yep. know, and I say human resources would be lucky to have that if you're on the fashion floor in a, in a foreign country where they're probably not treating their employees very well. Um, or, or the workers. Um, you're talking about um, marketing, you're talking about selling. 
So there's yeah. an entire ecosystem built around this. And sustainability is, is a, a big part of that, right? I think colleges and universities are always working towards sustainability, whether it's yeah. zero net energy or it's sustainable programs or it's sustainability within a program. And yeah. you know, you're bringing value there, right? That's where you see value is going to, to a college or university that has a fashion program and saying, hey, look, there's better ways to do this when you look at the entire ecosystem. Yes, and the timing is perfect because actually, you know, with COVID, uh, fashion industry has been hardest hit by COVID because we really got to see from the naked eye how extractive and how oppressive this industry is. And brands are now rushing to figure out how they can solve all of these big problems that they've never really taken the time to take a deep dive on. And then now with the Biden administration coming along, I think that there's a lot more initiatives being put into place for sustainability and more demands from companies to follow certain regulations. So I do think that there's a lot more, there's gonna be a, an influx of uh, roles and I'm starting to see it already that a lot of companies are starting to open up roles for sustainability and social responsibility. And they're gonna need talented people who are gonna be um, uh, skilled and knowledgeable in that space so that they can really have the right uh, uh, talent on board. Speaking of skilled, uh, workers, Liz has joined us. Uh, Liz, how you doing? Are you okay? <laughs> I almost went to burst out laughing, but I'm trying to be serious because I, I, I know that I always come with my chucklehead vibe. But hi, Ruby, it's nice to meet you. I'm Liz. Hi, I'm so Liz. happy to be able to speak with you because I, I, as, as uh, Joe knows, I'm a fashion plate, so I love talking about anything and everything fashion related. So. She's I'm also a social a social change warrior, Elizabeth, and, yes. and Ruby is the same. And so you two, I feel like that, that you know, at some level, I could take a back seat here and just learn from from the both of you. Um, <laughs> but uh, but but Liz, I don't know if you want to jump in or let me keep going because I'm you know I'm gonna just monopolize Ruby's time here. Yeah, I really want to jump in because I would love to hear. I've been on Clubhouse, as Joe knows, because I, I, that's like my new uh, social media app that I keep going on. And don't we the, know? Don't yes, we know? I, I still like, haven't. Uh, I still haven't been able to get through that door because you know maybe you'll 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 give me the extra push today. <laughs> yeah, because you, you know it's like I have an extra invite, Ruby, or you got an invite? You just haven't uh, experienced it. I, I have an invite, and people keep asking me about it, but I'm just like, oh, I'm a little bit nervous about having to manage yet another social media yeah. platform. Tell me about it, Elizabeth is all over it she said I'm all <laughs> over it man but you know the difference with clubhouse i think i actually find it a little bit different and it's funny because i'm I, as joe knows i'm very old so i grew up in the 90s where you had these chat lines right where people would just very get on old. it would be like a big very old very very old and you would have these chat lines where people would just be on or three-way calling i mean i just remember how excited i was when i was in high school and you could get on and talk to two or three of your friends or whatever so that's kind of what Clubhouse is. It gives you that ability. Actually, I find myself less stuck to my phone. Like usually my kids are like running around and they're like, mom. And I'm like, oh no, I'm updating my IG post or whatever. But with Clubhouse, you can actually listen to it almost like the radio. Like you can listen to people engaging on topics and it kind of gives you that audio without having to necessarily be stuck and scrolling through your phone. So it's just a different dynamic, I think. But one of the rooms that I was in recently was talking about the fashion industry and the responsibility of the fashion industry. You guys talked a little bit about the sustainability aspect. What about the diversity aspect? There's a lot of people in that room that were talking about the idea that there is more responsibility, especially now with everything that's happening in the, in the country and as far as social justice and change and equity, that we just 
need to see more representation in the fashion industry? Is that something that you're hearing where the fashion industry is, is attempting to pivot and, and look at branding or look at different elements and aspects of how the fashion industry is perceived as, as, as in, in relation to diversity that maybe those conversations were not as prevalent before? Uh, are you seeing some of that? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it's more, it's not just around uh, representation in the boardroom or representation on, on fashion campaigns, right? Because, well, the, with the representation for fashion campaigns, I think that's, a, that's helpful, but it's also not solving the deep-seated systemic uh, 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 situation that needs to be resolved in the fashion industry. So one, there needs to be diversity in the boardroom and the, in the decision-making process, but also because when you're thinking about sustainability, sustainability isn't just an environmental issue. It's a really um, a people and planet uh, equation, right? So when you're thinking about like, as I was talking about earlier, there are a lot of women in the supply chain that are not being seen because when we're looking at fashion, we're looking at the end product. We're looking at what's already on the runway, but how did it get to the runway? If you really look closely, the supply chain is filled with women of color. Fashion is built on the backs of women of color and no one is giving them credit for it, and no one is paying them that what they are worth. So when you are tackling a diversity inclusion in the boardroom, then you can also create more decision making and business models decisions that are going to help trickle down uh, representation in all aspects of the business down to the manufacturing. And that will also uh, naturally then create a more equitable uh, fashion system that just goes beyond the campaign and into uh, the actual nuts and bolts of the of, of the production process. Absolutely. Talk to me about, so I noticed when uh, you were interacting a little bit on social media, you had um, reposted or liked a, a comment or a post about these incubators and grants and different things. And I think one of the things that you talked about really, that you just said really resonated as far as the, the front line and, and the, the, the actual workers and the, the people that are making the industry and are actually putting in the work, but not getting necessarily the opportunities that they should or not being able to be exposed to some of the uh, additional frontline and, and, and leadership roles. How um, have you seen that evolve in terms of uh, capital, in terms of incubator, in terms of mentorship? What are some of the things that you think would be beneficial for women, particularly black women, other women of color to get some of these opportunities. I think one thing that I always think about is in terms of just the, the funding, the funding isn't there, the venture capitalists are not funding women in general, particularly women, uh, black women and other women of color are just not getting those opportunities, leadership roles and, and how can we uh, it, try to be meaningful and measurable in terms of uh, invoking change and creating change when the women that are affected by these uh, these changes or, or these policies are just not at the table to even make their, their voices heard. Yeah, well, I saw, uh, for example, early last year that Gucci had uh, launched a change makers program, and that might be a kind of a different one, but it is an accelerator for younger designers that I saw was heavily um, uh, focus on multicultural talent. So I am seeing that the industry is taking note. Uh, it's also in with thanks to a lot of consumer activism that's happening um, on social media. We have a very active generation who is demanding more diversity, who's demanding more uh, transparency and how things are being done in the industry. So I definitely think that there is a new uh, wave of um, 
pipeline openings. Um, and I think that that's what is really needed. It's not that there's a lack of talent, there's just a lack of uh, connection and, and, and pipeline because when you're thinking about uh, communities of color, especially within the black community, there might not be uh, you know, the, the proper network set up to be able to then uh, connect the talent properly to the right decision makers. So um, what I, I would love to see more of is more of that pipeline development so that we can identify the talent a lot easier. Um, and then also, as you said, give them the funding, the training, um, and the ability to have all of the right tools necessary to set them up for success. And that is also why I'm so passionate about the education piece. I'm in wanting to work with schools and universities because I think there's so much potential in wanting to, in, in the ability to create more conscious leaders in the fashion world so that you know when you are a designer everything starts from your decision you know with, with the materials that you want to create how that is going to get made uh, you're making all of the decisions just from the design process and if you're able to then mentor these um, you know up and coming talent to be able to think consciously in all areas of their business then there's that there's definitely a seed to be able to then create um, systemic change. Yeah, and, and you know, I, there are going to be a lot of educators that listen to this, and many of them will have fashion programs or, you know, in, in the fashion industry. And little known fact about Ruby here is that she is like globally connected. So not only will she be consulting for you, but from an advisory perspective, you bring in the global perspective, right? You're in Paris, you've been in, uh, in the United States, you've seen um, sustainability, particularly fashion sustainability and social justice at a global scale. Right. I mean, and and bringing that experience into a college or university. Yeah. And it's so interesting because one, I think that, you know, um, there's a lot of at least for me, you know, go, coming from an immigrant family, like I said, like I just never thought that Paris was going to be my life, you know, that this was not an experience that I thought was available to me. So I think that just being able to be able to share that there is, um, you know, there is an opportunity to create that pathway um, is important for me to be able to then serve as a mirror to reflect uh, possibilities. But then also, yeah, like diversity and inclusion as a topic, for example, it's a very different uh, concept. Um, in France versus how it is in the United States. And I think as we're doing this global work of collectively healing, you know, our, our societies and our, and, our, and our planet with like this, you know, um, this cancer of racism, we have to think about how, uh, how it's interpreted in different areas of the world so that we can meet each other in the middle. Um, so I think that's uh, what I hope to be able to create more bridges on. If you're experiencing any level of marketing challenge right now, you've got to ask the hard questions and you need answers. Are you using the right mix of channels to get in front of your future students? Is your messaging personalized and delivered in a medium your audience and future students will respond to? And are you spending more time building reporting than listening in on what your students really want? All of these questions will get answered when you sign up for your free consultation with MDT Marketing. Head to mdtmarketing.com slash edup, submit your information, and talk to MDT. Don't go it alone. Find the right partner. The guys at MDT, the team at MDT is absolutely amazing. Whether it, your challenge is the cost of inquiries, your melt, your branding, the bad and incomplete information that come with your inquiries, whatever it is, an audit of your challenges will help your institution and it's free. mdtmarketing.com slash edup.
you know, I'm in the, I'm way out of my depth here between the two of you guys. <laughs> no, no, but you know, this is so fascinating to me because I love that you actually brought this up, Joe, the idea of the global perspective, because me being from the UK and people are always surprised by that because they, they, I think I, it makes them feel like how they felt when um, Idris Elba use his London accent and he wasn't like the character from The Wire. People are like, oh my God, he's not like actually from Baltimore. So I'm from the UK. I was born in London and raised here. And I think that it's so important what you just said, because I think that sometimes there tends to be this misconception that all Black folk, all people of color, all of us have the same perspective. We're all vibrating on the same plane and we all think the same. But like you said, there is a global perspective. And I think I was on a call on a panel maybe like a month ago or so, and it was Black women from the Netherlands, from France, from the Caribbean, and everyone has such different perspectives. And everyone's perspective in terms of race and the ability to speak up, the ability to make change, the ability to how they perceive the, the microaggressions versus the blatant racism, some of it, you know, some places in Europe is a little bit more undercurrent as yep. opposed to sometimes in the US, you see it's a lot more blatant, but also that we're a lot more vocal as opposed to some people in like Europe are a little bit like, well, I don't wanna really, you know, rock the boat too hard because here it's like, they don't wanna hear it. So there's so many different layers to that. And I love that you bring up that international perspective because I think that those who haven't really traveled extensively outside the country or haven't seen other cultures tend to believe that America is like the barometer and that's how race yeah. is addressed. And it's not necessarily so. Like the rest of the world is processing things so differently and is approaching things so differently from how we're approaching them. And I think it's really important because as I think COVID is teaching us, it's like we're a global community. Like what happens in the UK is affecting us here. Like when we're looking at the COVID strain and the fact that we're all connected, like kind of we're all in this together. So the idea of tackling uh, racism on a global scale, I'm so glad that you said that Ruby, because it's so pertinent to how we're going to be able to overcome this. And I think that sometimes in the United States, we get very tunnel vision and we forget that we actually are in the minority here in the United States in terms of people of color are really the majority in the rest of the world. And then we kind of have our own perspective in terms of how to handle race. I want to ask you this really question that kind of came into my mind as well when you were talking about um, perspective in terms of brand and, and what we see and, and how we relate to those. And what do you think about, because I was thinking about this as a young girl when I was growing up and not really seeing myself represented in fashion campaigns. And, and when you when you saw like Beverly Johnson or you saw some of these different models that were walking the runway, like Naomi Campbell was like, oh my gosh, there's actually black models and there's actually black, you know, like fashion fair was like a makeup or when Beyonce came out with her clothing line and everyone was wearing like, you know, Beyonce's or baby fat came out. So. What do you think about like when you see some of these um, brands, like the Fenty brand with um, with Rihanna, or some of these brands that are coming up? How do you think that? And I guess this is really a philosophical question, but how do you think that actually has the ability to make change? Because I always think about the media and the fact that a lot of how we process the world is through the images that we receive, and I think a lot of young black girls when we were growing up we just never saw ourselves like we were never in the magazines we were and when essence magazine came out or ebony it was like oh my gosh i can actually be on the cover of a magazine can you speak a little bit to that the idea that fashion actually in terms of what we see on the runway or what we see reflected in clothing brands or just brands in general as far as that representation is so salient to the way that we perceive the world around us as, as people of color and, and black people in general Absolutely. I mean, I totally relate to you when you said that, you know, like when you saw Beverly Johnson, your your heart lit up. For me, you know, as an Asian American growing up in the United States, I didn't really see a lot of, like, like you didn't really see a lot of representation. Um, you know, I never 
thought that I could see an Asian woman on the cover of a US Vogue, for example. That's really just changed in the last two or three years when Crazy Rich Asians came out. Like all of a sudden there's all of this representation, but I think just the, the entry point of just seeing yourself reflected and being seen is so incredibly powerful. Um, the reason why I actually got really involved in the fashion scene was because in 2010, I was still living in New York City and I started to see an influx of Asian fashion talent like Derek Lamb and Philip Lim and Alexander Wang really come up. And I thought, oh my gosh, if they can be part of this industry, maybe I have a chance too. That was really my turning point of wanting to get involved in the industry. So I think the ability to just have representation is a really um, excellent entry point to be able to just see what's possible for you. Um, and then to also be represented as being a standard of beauty. You know, for so long, uh, as you know, women of color, especially, you know, personally speaking, I come from the Philippines, which was formerly colonized by both Spain and the United States. So in the Philippine beauty industry, the standard the standard is Eurocentric beauty. You know, you're not beautiful in Filipino culture unless you're mixed with, you know, being half white or whatnot. So now when you are seeing more um, diverse um, representations of beauty, then you get to you you get to open up that definition, that standard of beauty to be more inclusive of other women. And they could see that if Vogue says that they're beautiful or that, that somebody looks like them is this this new standard of beauty, then they get to be included in that and they get to be seen and they get to be powerful. Um, and, and then of course, now I think there's just been a, such an incredible development in terms of just young women and Gen Z uh, kids, like really speaking out and really having more agency about how they express themselves. And we're seeing a lot more um, categories of beauty that's not just physical, but about like self-care and inner work. And I think that all of those are also really important. What do you think that, uh, Ruby, just to shift the conversation, just a tad, do you think that up and coming students, like uh, sustainability, social justice, um, as you said, you were doing some of this work before, you know, before being woke was a thing, right? Do you think now though, that, 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 um, let's just say kids entering uh, college, the, the traditional age college student looking at a fashion uh, program is demanding some level of sustainability and social justice training because, because there's just more attention on the career field in general. You know, I mean, this applies to so many colleges and universities across the United States. There are a ton of them that have fashion programs or fa uh, fashion merchandising or fashion marketing. I mean, that's all all sort of in the same sphere. Is there a demand for this? Yeah, absolutely. I think what I'm seeing is that after the Trump administration, especially, I think I've just seen a lot more young people become more active and involved. That's kind of like the silver lining of the uh, of the of I think the last four years is that it's really woken people up and it's given people um, a drive to be able to create meaningfully. Um, you know, I, I think that young people today are thinking about um, what's inspiring to them. Like how can they create lives that align with their values but also how could they create something that um, is a life and a career that is inspiring and, um, and uh, fulfilling versus just money-making. And so I think that with that comes with, okay, like how can I um, contribute to something greater than myself? And, and again, because there is a bigger demand now um, and there is a rise of positions being available to companies that are tackling uh, things like 
diversity and inclusion, they're tackling wellness at work, they're tackling sustainability and an environmental um, uh, initiatives, I think that there is an opportunity that is also meeting the demand. That's really interesting. What did you just say there? I missed it. Create, you said create. Um, boy, Liz, did you hear it? Create, it wasn't create responsibly. It was create. Do you remember what you just said, Ruby? I missed it. I was trying to take um, notes on it. I, uh, I don't know what I said, but oh, I I'll have to go back. Yeah, we have to go back. I don't immediately. I, I, I was I like, oh, that's known. <laughs> I was like, that's the name of this episode, right? I was going to say you were um, making sure that you had the, the name of the, the episode title. I love when that happens, though, when you're like you get inspired and you're like, that's the name. That's the one. That's the, that's what it has to be. And I love everything that Ruby has to say, because it, it really strikes to the heart of the matter of there's so many different areas in, in terms of education, in terms of how we can inspire young folk and in, in terms of how we can inspire uh, youth to try different uh, careers and fields and, and how we can open up uh, and as far as higher education, how we can be more responsive. So the idea of being able to create different career paths and, and things that maybe like you said, it was like you were, um, I love what you said earlier about the fact that you were living in New York and you, and, and I guess just to tie it into kind of some of the initiatives that we think about here on the podcast, you were living in New York and it wasn't until you saw other up and coming Asian fashion, um, you know, breakout stars in, in that industry that you were like, wait a second, I can do this too. And I love this concept of if you can, if you can see it, you can be it, right? So I really think it strikes the heart of the matter of sometimes where we don't see enough representation or we don't see enough um, young people pursuing certain careers. I know for me, and I don't know if you experienced this, but for me, I wanted to be a writer. That was initially what I wanted to do. And having immigrant parents, it was almost like, well, mm, a writer, maybe you should go to nursing school or have you thought about it? it was, yeah, they, they, Did you grow up in my house, Liz? Yeah, I was going to say. Because well, your parents know. wanted you to make money and, and yeah, they're, yeah. they're like, you need to go to a job where you make money not be a writer exactly exactly they they're very practical it is when you have an immigrant parent they're like i didn't come across the world for you to go and like you know be poor (laughs) you would have been poor where we were so you need to do like acting is out of the question being a movie star being a rapper being (laughs) anything other than something tangible and i know you know i it's it has to be nursing it has to be something that they could see, okay, you could come do a two-year program or something like that and go make money because it's just like, that is what you're here for. You're here for the American dream. So the idea of, I think, us in higher education of presenting students with alternatives as far as like, well, you, there, there are so many different things you can do and there's so much pers- there's so much potential in other fields, not necessarily that you have to do. If you want to do nursing, if you want to do something that's practical, that's fine, but you don't necessarily have to go the vocational route. There's so many other things that if your heart and your passion lies in being a writer, being an actor, being a singer, being uh, being in the fashion industry, that those creative fields, and I, and I love the idea of inspiring young black and brown folk to pursue creative careers. Cause I feel as though sometimes we are kind of steered more into the practical and more hands-on, like let's just do something that will be quick and that you can just get out there and get a job and you know that's tangible. And I think that's fine as well because you know that's something that is definitely a viable option. But I love the idea of just the inspiration aspects of it, of you seeing other people and thinking, wow, if that person can do it, then maybe I can too. Yeah. But it's also about providing culturally relevant, culturally sensitive and transparent uh, mentorship, right? Mm, because I, mm-hmm. And just because you're creative doesn't mean you're not practical. I am one of the sure. most practical people I know, yeah. you know, me too, me too. Right? That, that is, that is, I think a, um, 
uh, a stereotype that needs to be broken. But I think for sure. for me, like in my journey, I could have gone so much further, faster if mm -hmm. I just had somebody transparently tell me how they made the things happen in a way that was relevant to my own experience, mm -hmm. right? As you said, the immigrant experience is a very different thing, right? I remember uh, meeting people in New York who were super successful and I would compare myself to them and then also blame myself for not being at the, the, the same uh, level. But then I find out later that we did not have the, the same starting line whatsoever. You know, like a year later, I found out that they were able to do all of these things because they had a trust fund. Well, you know, I don't have the, that, that ability, right? You know, like as immigrants, we don't have the, the, that kind of um, a starting line. We have a different one. So I think just being able to create a, a roadmap that is culturally relevant to students' lives, I think is really important and give, then giving them practical foundational um, uh, advice that is going to set, set them up for success. Uh, Ruby, how has you know how's COVID changed the industry and the work that you do? I mean, you look at fashion and you think that you know all of these things are in your mind, or at least in my mind, I'm thinking of this machine that existed, you know, before COVID and 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 all of this, and now you put COVID on top of it. Has it made it harder, easier, worse, better? Talk to me about what what the impact has been to the industry. Well, for one, um, you know, an organization that I um, work with as an ambassador called Remake, they launched a very powerful campaign last year called the Pay Up Campaign. Now, for many decades, companies have been able to get away with not paying uh, workers a living wage. They paid them a minimum wage. And, you know, we have to break down the fact that a minimum wage is not the same thing as a living wage, right? Like a minimum wage is the absolute minimum. But, you know, a living wage is actually something that you can actually grow and thrive on. So um, because of the, um, of the pay up campaign, uh, there is now a rise in consumer activism that has basically demanded a lot of brands to essentially pay up their workers, but also it's now creating a need for a lot. A lot of these brands are now having to invest in crisis communications because now they're seeing that because of the rising demand of consumer activism for, for increased transparency and social impact um, and social responsibility, they're having to now uh, be accountable and um, I think that it's really, again, um, uh, shed the light on the dark parts of the industry that weren't being paid attention to. So now I, I think that the, the, the conversation is open. Um, people are, uh, brands who are not doing well are exposed and they're seeing that through the power of, you know, global social media movement, their brand can be torn down within a matter of hours if they are not um playing fair or, or if they're not doing good. So I think that that alone, um, you know, Remake has successfully unlocked $22 billion in unpaid wages and it's just the beginning. So I think that, you know, the fashion industry has been one of the industries that has been um, uh, changed by this. And also, you know, the fact that fashion also has a lot of these fashion week shows, right? Um, that takes up a lot of resources, that takes up a lot of carbon emissions. And now the industry is having to figure out how could we do this better because it's not uh, a long-term solution. Ruby, this has been pretty incredible. Thank you so much for coming on the Edip Experience. Uh, we've got two final questions for you. And um, you know, one of them is if 
we want to get a hold of you, where do we do that? And what did we miss about the life of Ruby Verdiano and your work that, uh, that you would like to, to toss in? And secondly, what do you think the future of sustainable fashion education looks like in the United States and, glo- and world? Oh gosh. Okay. So I, let me remember all of the questions. So where to find me is uh, just my first and last name, Ruby Veridiano. Um, that's V-E-R-I-D-I-A-N-O. And that's, um, you can find me on Instagram with both my first and last name. I'm on rubyveridiano.com. Um, so I'd love to, I'm always, I always respond to every message. So I'd love to uh, be in touch with all of you, whoever wants to, to connect further. And then the second question was uh, something that we might have missed about me. Well, one thing that I really um, am passionate about is women's empowerment and the idea of just being able to uh, connect inner transformation with world transformation. I think that we don't have the power to change what's going on out there if we can't get right within ourselves first. So for me, I'm really about helping women to overcome limiting beliefs and uh, really helping them to um, create possibilities for themselves so they can go out there and change the world. Um, And then third, in terms of the future of sustainable fashion, um, I think it's going to be more inclusive. It's going to be more representative and it's going to be more equitable. Um, uh, We might not get there in this lifetime, but I sure hope that we can continue to create and pave the pathway to um, leave the the next generations better than um, how we how we lived it. So I hope by the way, and, and I, you know, I was telling I, I have to tell us after her, I was going to tell her, I'm like, man, Ruby's really well spoken. It's like she was made to do to do this. And then, you know, of course, I know you have a podcast called. Grit, oh, yeah. I, Grit I, and I, Glamour. Yes. Grit and Glamour. So as I was talking about, I didn't have a lot of uh, role models, you know, like as I was navigating this industry. So I wanted to solve that problem by offering uh, young people, the next generation of fashion change makers with honest conversations with role models, you know, uh, multicultural role models in the industry that share all of the grit behind the glamour, right? Because I think we see a fashion as a very glamorous industry, but it can, it's a lot of hard work, uh, a lot of blood, sweat and tears. And, um, you know, I just want to provide a more in-depth, but also very transparent uh, recollection of all the grit it takes to succeed in the industry. It's a great name for a podcast, by the way, Great and Glamour. It just (laughs) says it. And, you know, Ruby's worked with Morehouse and Berkeley and Columbia, Cornell, UC Davis, Stanford, and many others. You would do uh, well to contact Ruby and learn from her expertise and, and leverage her amazing network that she has globally. This has been incredible. Ruby, thank you so much. This has been another episode of the Edip Experience with Ruby Veridiano, sustainable fashion journalist and educator. Thank you. All right, we're done. Ruby, you know what Thank you're doing you around so here. Much. Well, I, <laughs> you know what it you're doing. Easy because I, I, you know, the job of a good a host is really to carry the interviewee. So I was just riding your wave. You set it up. How dare you be so good on the mic and and so presentable and look at me and Liz were like, oh God, we just woke up. Yeah, I was like trying to keep up with Ruby. I was like, Ruby came with her A game. It looks like she just got off a train in Paris or something. Look at her. She walked out of GQ magazine. Oh my gosh. Listen, I looked up both of your profile. I mean, I already know Joe, but I was like, oh God. Liz, okay, I better get I better get it together. I can't I can't be, you know, left behind. <laughs> you were you you killed it. I loved everything you had to say. And you know what? It's just a different different flavor. 
Because a lot of times we're talking to, and there's nothing wrong with it, but we're talking to higher ed um, leaders and presidents, and sometimes it's, just, it's the same refrain. And I think just to have something different that just reflects a different, um, and I think very fresh perspective. I love that. I, I was here for it. I, I really enjoyed that. So I thank you for providing that. Well, I thank you both so much. I mean, you are both so impressive as well. So just being able to be in your company. Liz, maybe not. Um, <laughs> I got to get a microphone like yours, then I'll be yeah. impressive like you. Yeah. Uh, you see, I have on my, my earbuds right now. I was like rushing to try to get on the call. I was like, ah, where's my Liz, I wanted to point out, because you're, you're from the UK. So I think one thing, just, you know, the last thought, um, you know, one thing that's so different about like the black movement in France, because a lot, you know, like people are talking about Black Lives Matter everywhere, right? And so people from the States are like, well, why isn't the Black Lives Matter as powerful as it is in the US? But they forget that a lot of uh, French immigrants or black uh, French immigrants are actually first generation. So yes. they're not necessarily having the same experience. So like yes. if you're Nigerian, you might not be in like, you know, 100% right. boots with a Senegalese. So uh, right. I think it's also the same in the UK because there's a lot of first generation. Yeah, kids, yeah, yeah, yeah. I went to school with, um, in my school, it was like a handful of black kids and it was like a Jamaican, an Ethiopian, like everyone's like from the Caribbean or Africa. So all right. of us were first generation, like our parents, you know, were immigrants in like the 50s. And a lot of people don't really realize that in the, in the UK throughout much of Europe, it's like a totally different experience in here. And then a lot of us that moved to the US, we're kind of taught the same narrative of like, hey, you know, they're not working hard enough. Like they gotta have five jobs like us. And then you see some of the historical um, marginalization of black folk here in America, which is so different than the experience here that we, we see in Europe. So it's, it's very, it's very layered, a lot of this stuff. So it's, it's interesting okay. to get that perspective. I love that you said that because I was like, wait a second, that's so true. It's just that global aspect of the movement, even though everyone's talking about Black Lives Matter, it's kind of it's different. It's not a one size fits all. It's a very not. custom situation. But I would love to just putting this out there. I still haven't gotten on Clubhouse. I'm gonna go on it tonight. Get on there. You have to because but you can jump into something. all these rooms. Don't do I'm it. Down. I just, <laughs> don't do it. I, I'm ready whenever <laughs> you are because <laughs> because you know what people are jumping in and out of rooms. It is like super fun because you don't necessarily, I think Joe gets frustrated because he's like, what is the point here? People just rambling on, but you get to hear so many different perspectives. If you're like, I think for me, I'm not like a linear when it comes to listening to stuff. Like I jump in, I listen to something and I'm like, okay, I'm not. And you can kind of just jump into conversations and then it gives you that, you get so you know many what it is? perspectives. I feel like I should be on stage 24 seven. So I don't want to listen yeah. to a bunch of other people talk. I feel like I should right. be the one talking. But, but that's, that's why that's you have right. to just host rooms. You just have to create a that's room and, you're, and just- No, you can host a room with us. We could, like, yeah, I'll, I'll do it, all right. Yeah, you I'll tell create you, I think, But it's a clubhouse is created for the for the people that have like tons of, I don't know how you do it, because I get, you know, but it, when I got to jump at a clubhouse, it's like at 7 p.m. when my kids are like trying to go to sleep and somebody's like, yeah. hey, Joe, you want to host a room? I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? I can't. Yeah, do but that. you have to host a room with someone that's a big mouth because then you go on stage and then yeah. you're like a moderator, but you don't have to really say much. You just let them carry it. And like, Joe, chime in. And then you say your little piece and you go back and put it on mute. Right. So, mm. yeah. Putting it out there. Let you know. I'm well, down. Ruby, um, so you did our you did the CLU podcast as well, and I haven't released it because honestly, if we want to put this one out first, because that one will get much more listens if we put this okay. one out first. So this okay. one will uh, it's probably going to be two or three weeks at the most. Okay. And um, um, you know, you'll get if you share it. Uh, I want to say I know you have a good, a good, good social media network. You know, could go over three hundred uh, downloads, which we think is a pretty solid, solid amount or so. 
um, but all with uh, educational decision makers. And because we like you so much uh, and I've gotten to know you a little bit, if you go through the list, if you go on our website and you go through the list of the college presidents that we have there and any of them have a fashion sustainability, a fashion program, and you want a direct introduction, let me know. We'll put you right in touch with, with the president. That's so generous of you both. Thank you. Yeah. So, and, and they listen to us, believe it or not. Most of them, <laughs> believe it or not, why you know, between yeah. you and Liz, it's like, how could they, how could they even say no? Yeah, so if you want to break, break through all the red tape of trying to get in touch with somebody, you know, we'll just put you on email blast with them. And so you let me know with who you want to, who you want to know. Will do, thank you so much. And Liz, are you in California as well, or are you somewhere else? I'm in South Florida. Okay, got it. Okay, so yeah, I'm in Palm Beach County right now. So, yep, we're we're tri coastal because Elvin is in New York. I'm in South Florida and then Joe's in California. California. So we're like all coasts here. It's a triangle. It's a yeah, triangle. there you go. And then you got me who's like on the. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But that's yeah, good, right? You're, 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 you've got the global here. flavor. Yeah, global yeah. flavor. Exactly. That's it. We got it, we got it all covered. Yeah, that's right. Sure. Well, it was a pleasure, Ruby. You know, I like seeing you every time we can we can get together. So yes. thanks, Ruby. And I hope to see you um, in California in the spring. If we can go anywhere. COVID willing. <laughs> Keep her fingers crossed. Get out of Paris while you can. Get out. Yeah. Uh, or you, you, hopefully people can start visiting me before I start yeah. to. Yeah, seriously. It. What a drag to have somebody in Paris and you can't go visit them if you want. Yeah, right. Well, I'll still plan to be here every summer. So yeah, cool. it's, not, it's not all lost. But anyway. Okay. All right, Ruby. So Thanks, Ruby. Have a good night. Take care. See you. Bye. bye. She's great. Are we. Yeah, she's. I love her energy. Are we done for today, or did we have something else? Think, uh, you know later. who I? Uh, oh, got, Tom Wolf is that? Tom Wolf is. At, is that is that confirmed? Yes, he's oh, okay. at one thirty. Uh, my time four thirty. Oh yeah, time. yeah, yeah. I was like one thirty. I was like, what? Yeah, yeah okay. He's a he's a trip, man. He's. Like oh, you this, know him? Yeah, yeah. I actually, he wanted to do a call, just a catch up call, and he's been. Uh, he tag he does stuff and tags me on social media every now and then. Okay. He's like the British, he's like this white British ball. Oh God. He's in good shape, but he's, he's, he's like, and he's got like the Conor McGregor feel. I mean, he's Irish, but he's got the kind, kind of like fast talking, shit shooting, like English. Oh, that's hilarious. I have beer that's... in a, in a, in a pub kind of. That's beer. funny. And then we have another one of those because uh, I was on his podcast. I don't know if it ever, he ever even uh, released it, but the other British guy um, that we have, I think coming up soon too. So we're gonna have Ooh. a lot of British flavor. What's his name? He's a high, he's um one of the top voices for education. I have no idea. We have idea. him coming up pretty soon. I forget his name and I don't even see it. Like maybe it's not immediately, maybe it's next month, but he's another Brit that's gonna be. Yeah, okay. This will be fun because Tom wants to just shoot the shit. He's like, I just want to yeah. shoot the shit with you guys. Uh, okay, let's do okay. it. Let's, let's, so let's it'll be a couple it. of good mix-up episodes because you know we hit the same kind of stride with the college presidents. We gotta maybe. Yeah, I like the variety. I mean, it's good to not. I, and you know, the funny thing is, sometimes when we have those like out of the box episodes, they actually end up doing really well. Exactly. So I think it's oh Ross M Ross Morrison. He's on oh, the twenty fourth. Okay. He was one of the top voices. He has like this teacher toolkit. It's like the, one of the top like. Uh, education YouTube channels or something like that. So, nice. yeah, it's like okay. resources for teachers, something like that. But he's out of, um, I think he's based out of London. Okay, perfect. So, yeah. so, I guess I'll see you at, you said 4, uh, 1.30 your time? All right, I'll try to catch you on Clubhouse. 
Yeah, I don't. I'm not going to Clubhouse until like later because I have to save my energy. <laughs> like drain from Clubhouse it. right Good now. Good for you. I don't know. I have no idea. It's crazy, but. All right. All right. I'll see you later. Bye. All right. Bye. Hey, everybody. We hope you enjoyed that episode of the Edip Experience. To learn more about the Edip Experience, please visit our website at www.edipexperience.com and subscribe to our email list. Please share this podcast, head over to Apple, and please give us a rating and review. We appreciate your feedback. And of course, subscribe to the Edip Experience so you're notified when our episodes drop. Here at the Edip Experience, our goal is to make education your business. Thanks for listening.